Welcome to the online sermons at King Street Church. Feel free to listen or watch online at kingstreetchurch.com. We're located at 162 East King Street in the heart of Chambersburg, PA, and would love to see you in person at one of our five Sunday services at 8.15, 9.45, or 11 a.m. We certainly hope you enjoy this morning's message. As you're being seated, would you grab your Bibles? There's Bibles in the backs of the pews in front of you. Grab your handheld. Let's, uh, let's be together in the Word of God. And if you're not in the habit of bringing a Bible, I want to encourage you to do it. I know that handhelds work fine too, but I don't know. For me, there's just something about having the Word of God um, that, uh, that we can see and read together. I just encourage you to do that. I think it's a blessing. So... Uh, We're going to look together at uh, chapter 2 of John, and I'm going to read for us verses 13 to the end of the chapter, verse 25. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. I'll just pause to say that wherever you're at in the world, you go up to Jerusalem, and not necessarily just because it is a little higher in elevation than what's around it, but really because uh, it's, it's center stage. Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep and doves and others, sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords. He drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples, as this was happening, remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then responded to him, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all of this? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, (laughs) it's taken 46 years to build this temple, which by the way is... Uh, we know that uh, Herod's renovations of the temple began in 19 B.C. History records that. 46 years. We're now uh, in about the year 27, 28, probably, right in there. So they're, they're not just making that number up. For 46 years, this has been a, a construction project. And you're going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of, John tells us, was his body. In fact, after he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they, then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. Now, while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. These things are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. Wow. 
I want us to see a few things here. Absolutely. There is so much going on that uh, maybe doesn't even at first meet the eye. John chapter 2. I want us to think about these verses that I just read really in light of the whole chapter. I want you to see what John is clearly doing here as he is introducing Jesus to us, or if you know, will, if you will, in a way, reintroducing Jesus. Probably 20 years had passed since the last gospel had been written, Matthew, Mark, and or Luke. But now John is very carefully structuring or wording these stories. And, uh, and I put this chapter really as two sections on a scale. And, and the reason I did that was to show you some sense of balance. Verses 1 through 12, if you remember what I preached on last Sunday, it was, it's the account of Jesus up in Cana in Galilee, just right near his hometown of Nazareth, about 70 miles north of Jerusalem. And Jesus is at a wedding, a very social setting. It's very light. Jesus does a miracle, a sign there where very obscurely, very gently, very behind the scenes, he turns water into wine. The groom is the one that gets all the credit for it. And uh, and it's, it's really an introductory sign to show what Jesus has come to do. Now we turn the corner into verse 13 to 25, and it feels completely differently. In fact, 150 years ago, a guy named Brooke Foss Westcott, a bishop from England, wrote this. It is impossible not to feel the change which at this point, verse 13, comes over the narrative. There is a change of place, of occasion, of manner of action, Jerusalem, and Cana, the Passover and a marriage feast, the stern reformer and the sympathizing guest. The first represents, verses 1 through 12, the ennobling of common life. I love that 150-year-old language, English language. The ennobling of common life, Jesus turning water into wine. The second, this account, The purifying of divine worship. So I put these on a scale to really show the balance of what John wants us to see. When I think about verses 1 through 12, I think of the image of a lamb, right? Behold, the lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world, meek and quiet. Jesus, behind the scenes, very inobtrusive, much like, if you will, a lamb. Did you just listen to what I read in verses 13 to 25? Would you describe that as lamb-like? I wouldn't. In fact, what's the image that we get on the other side of the scale? I would say a lion. (laughs) In fact, scripturally, Jesus is described as the lamb of God and the lion of the tribe of Judah. That's what we see here in John chapter 2, that we see the grace of Jesus providing abundant life and mercy. And we see the truth of Jesus where he makes a whip out of cords and he drives these money changers and all of the animals out of the temple. In fact, John 1.14, the word became flesh, made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. Do you know how we see his glory? We see the glory of Jesus both as a lamb and as a lion. 
the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of what? Grace and truth, John chapter 2. Turn with me then to verse 13. Look at verse 13. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, for the casual reader, if you will, you're going to kind of miss what's going on. That's interesting. Because in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, there's only one occasion where Jesus goes to Jerusalem for a Passover. And that is for his crucifixion. But here we are at the very beginning of, of Jesus' ministry. John chapter 2, verse 13, after the first sign up in Cana, he's just called his first disciples. And what does he do? He goes up to Jerusalem for a Passover. Look with me. Keep your finger there, but look at chapter 6. Chapter 6 then also describes, verses 1 down to uh, 4, it says this. This is in the same chapter that Jesus feeds the 5,000. It's in the middle of his ministry. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. He's back up in the Galilee region. And a great crowd of people followed him. They saw signs. He was performing, healing the sick. Jesus went up on a mountain, sat down with his disciples. Verse 4, the Jewish Passover festival was near. Hmm. And then we get, look at chapter 12. Then we get to the account that the other gospels record, which is really a lead into Palm, to Palm Sunday, chapter 12. This is just after Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. And a dinner was given in his honor. What I want us to see here is then that leads into verse 12. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. Why is this significant? Because I don't know if you've heard it said, it's taught, that Jesus' public ministry lasted for how long? Three years. You know where we get that? Right here. That's where we get that. Because we see his ministry span the, the realm of these three Passovers that if you don't have John, you're not going to know that. I also want us to keep your finger there and turn back to Matthew 21 because this raises another point that I want us to think about. I just mentioned Palm Sunday and Jesus riding into Jerusalem on this third Passover that we know of. As they approach Jerusalem, Matthew chapter 21, um, Jesus then sends two disciples, go on ahead, find a donkey. Verse 8, Hosanna, the son of David, blessed is he. It's Palm Sunday where they raise or where they lay down their cloaks and lay these palm branches. Jesus rides into Jerusalem. Then look at verse 12, Matthew 21. Jesus entered the temple courts. It's the first thing he did in this account after Palm Sunday's events. The first thing he did was go into the temple courts, driving out all who were buying and selling there, overturning the tables of the money change. Sounds familiar. The benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. That's not what he said in John. In John, he says, you're, you're making my father's house into a marketplace. 
the blind and the lame came to him and he healed them. So we then have a break for the next, early the next morning, verse 18, Jesus is coming back into the town, into Jerusalem, verse 23, Jesus then entered the temple courts and while he was teaching, it's the next day, the chief priests and the elders came to him and once again asked him, by what authority are you doing this? I say, once again, there are some scholars that will say, well, no, this is the same thing. It just, John chose to put it at the beginning and Matthew chose to put it. No, I don't believe that. There's different things happening. I think it's very, not only possible, but it's what happened, I believe, that Jesus had to do this twice. That gotquestions.org, one of my kind of go-to websites, it's really a good one, where they answer biblical questions. Question, how many times did Jesus cleanse the temple? The answer, there are differences in the two events, aside from there being nearly three years apart, right? In the first cleansing, temple officials confronted Jesus immediately, whereas in the second... They confronted him the following day. In the first, Jesus made a whip of cords. But there's no mention of a whip in the second. There are, there are two recorded occasions when Jesus cleansed the temple. The first, at the beginning of his public ministry. The second, just, be, just after his triumphal entry, shortly before he was crucified. I believe that. I believe we take God's word at what it says, at face value, and it clearly indicates Two separate events in the temple courts. He found people, verse 14, selling cattle, sheep, doves, others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords, drove them all from the temple. Both the, he cleaned house, both sheep and cattle, scattering the coins, turning their tables. I just point out here that the NIV translates this word cattle, cattle. If you look at most other translations, they actually go with the Greek word boaz, which when translated literally means an ox. Why do I point that out? Do you know how big an ox is? Okay, ox are not small animals. Jesus drove oxen and sheep and everyone that was in them, he in there, he drove them out. Now, wow, remember what I said a minute ago about the lion has roared? You know, I, I'm, I'm kind of drawn to some of just, I didn't have to put this in the sermon, but it just made me think of it. The, whoever portrayed Jesus in, I just picked out a couple. I just have a hard time thinking that whoever painted that picture read the back half of John 2. Right? Do you see that guy doing? You know, not to in any way. As I was studying this, it was very interesting. This last Friday, I check a whole bunch of news sites, just, you know, this and that, just to kind of see what's going on in the world. I check Drudge Report. It's just one of the things. I, I don't say this to highlight Drudge, only to say that on Friday, as I'm thinking about this, one of the banners, Jesus Christ may have been muscular with Middle Eastern appearance. Hmm. Okay. I don't know that that's how Jesus looked, but when I read the back half of John 2, I'm going with that guy. <laughs> Drove out 
the money chain, making a whip of cords. But the question I want to really get at next is why? Well, this text tells us why. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. These people had turned the temple, his father's house, into an emporium, a bazaar, really, in essence, a mall. What in God's name do you think you're doing? How close am I to interpreting that? Am I pretty close? Right on! What are you doing? Get out of here! You're making my father's temple into a bazaar! This is no shopping center! What in God's name do you think you're doing? I don't even know if I can preach third hour. Shot. John Piper, what did Jesus see? He saw that this bazaar was not advancing communion with his heavenly Father. It was not flowing from the love of God, it was flowing from the love of money. And what made it worse was this, that this religious ritual, this phony helpfulness, were being used as a cover for greed. That's what Jesus saw, hypocrisy. Religion used as a front for greed, empty forms of love for God, plastering over the insatiable love of money. That's what's going on. In fact, as it's happening, the disciples watch this, and what comes to their minds is Psalm 69. The Lord, the Lord Almighty, may those who hope in you not be disgraced because of me. God, may I never mislead someone. God of Israel, may those who seek you in your courts not be put to shame because of me, for zeal for your house consumes me. As they're watching this happen, this is the verse that comes to their mind. Zeal is what they see. It means great energy or enthusiasm in pursuit of a cause or an objective. Synonyms, passion, love, fervor, fire, devotion, enthusiasm, gusto, vigor, energy, intensity, zeal is what they see in Jesus in that moment. Then the Jews, verse 18, Responded to him. Hmm. Okay. What sign can you show us to prove your what? Authority. What sign can you show us to prove your? I'm going to ask you four questions. First of all, is Jesus right? Second question, do the Jews know, come on, do the Jews know that Jesus is right? Truly. You know what's going on there. They're making big time cash over this. Do the Jews want to change? Not in a million years. So what do they do? They question his authority. If we in our mind, now I'm bringing it to right here, right now, us. If we in our minds, come on, 
can undermine Jesus' authority, we can justify and continue right on in our sin and disobedience, our lust, our greed, our jealousy, you name it. If we can undermine the authority of God's word, we can do whatever we want. Welcome to America. Oh, God did not create the world. The world just exploded and began. I don't say that to be glib with evolution, but isn't that what's going on? What is all of it? It undermines the authority of God's word. I'm going to tell you right now, this has Satan's fingerprints all over it. Genesis chapter 3. I'm turn to you real quick. Genesis 3. This is, this is Satan's playbook. This is his first play. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the other wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? What's Satan doing? Messing with her mind. Undermining authority. The woman said to the serpent, well, we may eat from... Fruit in the trees, in the garden, but God did say don't eat from the fruit of the tree. It's in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. Oh, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. God knows when you eat it, your eyes will be opened. Church, listen to me. This is Satan's playbook from day one. When we undermine God's, and I'm going to hold it up, authority, we deflect responsibility and justify our disobedience. This is exactly what we see happening in the temple. Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. Seems like a simple response. I'm going to tell you right now. What Jesus said right here was burned into their minds. This response was burned into the minds of both the Jews and the disciples. Burned into their minds. This was a poignant moment. Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it again. Do you know that this statement comes up in a Jesus trial? As the... Uh, as the, the Roman soldiers, Caiaphas, as they are questioning Jesus and beating him, do you know what a witness steps forward? You know, we need a witness against him. And a witness comes forward, Matthew 26. Oh, I know what he said. He said he would, he would destroy the temple and rebuild it. Guilty! Boom, and they beat him. Oh, they remember. You know, it's interesting in John chapter 20, when... John and Peter see Jesus' grave clothes laying there. The lights go on. <gasps> and you know what they remembered? That every sign Jesus did pointed them to the cross and the resurrection. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered what he had said. That then they believed the scripture and these words that Jesus had spoken. All right, here's, here's how I'm going to land this sermon. You can't sort of believe in Jesus. You can't sort of believe in him. 
Jesus does not leave us any middle ground in what he says here. Nobody ever spoke like this. This is either insanity or the most precious truth in the history of the world. Jesus is either crazy or he is God. And church, one day, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess, Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. Every knee, every tongue. The question is, will you do it today? We've got to be ready. Jesus is coming back. He's the king. He is who he said he was. He rose again. He's alive. He's coming back. Jesus, we thank you for this text. Thank you, Lord, for John 2, that you, Jesus, are the Lamb of God and the Lion of Judah. (laughs) Jesus, we thank you that you are filled with grace and mercy and forgiveness. Jesus, you came to forgive us, every one of us. But, Lord, may we never forget you are the Lion of Judah of the tribe of Judah and one day Jesus you are going to roar from heaven and in that moment we're told in Matthew that all the nations of the earth will mourn they will mourn because they missed it they will mourn because they believe the lies of Satan that we can get away questioning authority we can do it our own way we're in charge we can set the rules Jesus no you're in charge we submit ourselves to you We believe that you are the Son of God, that you are in heaven, that you are coming back, that you are my only hope for eternal life. Jesus, I need you. We need you. We need you. We need you in our hearts. We need you in this church. We need you in our city. We need you in this country. Jesus, we need you. But Lord, it begins in our hearts right here, right now. We confess Come, Jesus, fill me, forgive me, wash me. I worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this morning's message. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to contact us using our online form on our website at kingstreetchurch.com or by calling us here at 717-264-4651 during our regular business hours. Be sure to stop by and see us in person at one of our five Sunday morning services, 8.15 a.m., 2 at 9.45 a.m., as well as 2 at 11 a.m. We look forward to seeing you there.